you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 1 Samuel. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you would stand with me as we read the Lord's word. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to shale and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Before we get started with our message this morning, I'd like to share one more announcement. Um, Two weeks from today, we have a special meeting planned that we really don't want you to miss. Um, I don't think you'll want to miss it. It's um, Sunday evening, May 15th. It'll be at 6 p.m. And um, you guys have heard us for years speaking about um, church planting, talking about that, asking for prayer regarding that. And um, we have some big announcements and information to present about that and um, kind of a historic moment for Reliance. And so um, I would just encourage you guys um, to be here on May 15th. Um, that'll be Sunday evening that day. And we're going to um, share some more information about that. If you're, a, if you're a member, this is highly encouraged. We really want you there. If you're anybody else, you're welcome as well. Um, okay, enough about that. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's a big day. It's a good day. Um, day filled with uh, cards and phone calls and flowers and, and all kinds of things like that. Um, a fun fact about Mother's Day that I learned this week is um, it's been around for over a century And the official spelling has always been Mother's, apostrophe S, day, um, singular, Mother's Day. It's not not S apostrophe, plural collective, everybody's mother. It's not a celebration of motherhood as much as a celebration of your mother. So this is for you to celebrate your mom. And that was very intentional in the way they set up the holiday a hundred odd years ago. Um, so, yeah, hopefully you, you make a phone call. I called my mom this morning and um, talked with her. We sent her a gift, and so um, celebrate your mom. 
Um, I'm excited for our message this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at one of the amazing women of the Bible. Happened to be a mom. Um, we're going to consider the story of Hannah. And um, I think you'll find her story is incredibly relevant for today. Um, this is not just the obligatory Mother's Day message. Oh, Adam got up here. He's got to talk about moms today. This is a message that I think is, is particularly relevant um, and I think you'll see why. So a little bit of background on Hannah um, for this story today, a little bit of context. We're going to be um, in 1 Samuel, so if you want to turn there, um, you can. 1 <clears throat> Samuel was written to show the origins of the monarchy in Israel. How did Israel come to have a king? And more than that, how was the Lord involved in this process? How is it that God was working in the nation of Israel to bring them to the place of having a king. And so rather than just starting with, you know, one day King David showed up for work, um, it it goes way before that. We discover that before David, there was another king named Saul, and Saul wasn't a very faithful king, um, not faithful to the Lord. Um, So why was Saul Saul the king in the first place? How did he get replaced by David? To figure out those things, we go back a little earlier. We start with Samuel. And um, who was Samuel? Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. And um, Samuel was the one actually who delivered the message of the Lord to appoint Saul as king. Um, Samuel was the one who comes along and delivers the message of the Lord to replace Saul with David. Um, But who's Samuel? Where did Samuel come from? And so to understand that, we go even further back, and we see that Samuel was born to godly parents, um, Elkanah and Hannah, but mostly the story is about Hannah. So how did Israel come to be ruled by a king? Really, the story begins with Hannah. It begins with this, this one woman and her prayer and her commitment to the Lord, And so um, we're going to begin in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. And what we're going to do today is walk through the story of what God did in the life of this woman, Hannah. And we're going to see that it's very relevant for us today. Um, So 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathayim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. Aren't you glad, Sean, by the way, that I didn't make you... Start in this, yeah. Ramathayim Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. You know, it's interesting, um, as I was looking at this, uh, it's, it's interesting how many stories in the Bible start with a woman who could not have children. Um, all of the patriarchs, if you go back, um, all of the patriarchs had wives who dealt with infertility in some way. So Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel all are, are said to be unable to have children. Um, Samson's mother couldn't have children. John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was barren. All of these women, um, the story begins with they could not have children. And I think it points ahead, right? I think this is foreshadowing for what's going to happen with Jesus, right? Jesus is born of a woman who 
shouldn't have been able to have children, but does, right? Because God is the author of life, as, as Brian pointed out this morning. God is the one who gives life, and he can give it anywhere he wants, right? So just because this, this woman, Hannah, seems to be incapable of having children doesn't mean that's the end of the story. So 1 Samuel um, begins with this, this tension. Penina had children, Hannah did not. Let's read on, verse 3. <clears throat> now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she, Hannah, wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? few observations here. Um, we see that Elkanah was faithful in worshiping the Lord. And in kind of in the history of Israel, this is the tail end of the period of the judges. There's about 400 years after they come out of Egypt, 400 years that the nation of Israel is ruled by the judges. And if you've read the book of Judges, you know this, this is not a stellar moment for Israel. Um, It's a time of much unfaithfulness. And so to have a man like this who every year goes to worship the Lord, that's that's a big deal. That's commendable, Um, certainly in this context. Um, As you read on in 1 Samuel, you find out that Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli that are mentioned here, are terrible. The priests of the Lord are not faithful to the Lord, and yet this man Elkanah is. And so we begin with that realization the, the passage goes on to say that for some reason, the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. We're not told why, um, but it's very much emphasized in the story. It's both in verse 5 and verse 6. It says directly, the Lord had closed her womb. Not an accident, not a coincidence. Um, the Lord had created this situation. And man, that's hard to understand, right? Uh, it was painful for Hannah this situation. Um, scripture describes the distress and the sorrow that she's going through and, and the terrible fa- family dynamics that she's facing. By the way, Elkanah had two wives. Um, not a good idea. Okay, <laughs> I do not recommend this. Um, sometimes the Old Testament, um, or sometimes people look at the Old Testament and they wonder, why is it that there's not like a clear condemnation of polygamy? Why is it just mentioned and, and you're supposed to read between the lines? Um, I'd like to, to share with you um, an interesting, fun little thing about the Hebrew language here. Um, in verse 6, our translation says, Her rival, however, would provoke her. And that word for rival shows up all over the place in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it means trouble. Okay, so let me read a few examples. So Psalm twenty-two, eleven: Be not far from me, for trouble is near for there is none to help. Psalm 142.2 says, I, I pour out my complaint before him, I declare my trouble before him. 
Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Same word. Trouble, adversity, distress, right? That, that's the word. But that word also has a second meaning. It can also mean second wife. <laughs> so, so here comes trouble, right? That's the idea. So, so this, this verse, I mean, we're, we're prone to think yeah, the Bible doesn't say anything about polygamy. That's because we don't know Hebrew. It literally says, if you have a second wife, she's going to be trouble. So I think that's worth knowing. So, so here in verse 6, it says, her rival, however, trouble, right, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. So here you have this, this terrible situation, this distress, um, sorrow, and depression. She, she's, she's not even eating anymore, and this happens every single year. And every year, Hannah is crying out to the Lord for relief from this. <clears throat> and then, then you have verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I also wouldn't recommend that. I, um, <laughs> what's funny about this is we don't even get Hannah's response, right? It's just dead silent. Am I not better? We're not going to answer that one. Um, for a woman to experience what Hannah was going through is incredibly difficult. And so, um, in the midst of this, we, we don't see her response to him. <clears throat> Instead, what we get is Hannah's prayer. So, um, let's read on, verse 9. <clears throat> then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts... If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, <clears throat> but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. <clears throat> now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. <clears throat> but Hannah replied, No, my lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have, I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. <clears throat> A few more observations, and then uh, we will dive into some of the relevance of this for us. Um, Hannah does the best possible thing that she can with her sorrow. She takes it to the Lord. And this, this is really a cry of desperation um, <clears throat> as, she, as she pours out her heart to the Lord. And, and I think there's just a, a, a really important thing here for us. Um, 
we may not be dealing with the exact same situation, but is this where we go when we're in a place of despair? Is our first impulse to run to the Lord to pour out our heart before Him? Um, she's a great example for us in this. Um, but there's another aspect of this um, that I think is really important for us. Um, in this story, we see how Hannah's godly example stands against two lies that our current culture is very prone to believe. Okay, So the first lie is that children are nothing, and the second lie is that children are everything. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, lie number one, children are nothing. <clears throat> People often act as if children are an inconvenience. Um, a very common phrase in our time is unwanted pregnancies. And at times it can be inconvenient to have children. Okay, so when, when Kim and I first got married, um, we were married maybe six months, and really good friends of ours uh, came to us and said, hey, guess what? Great news. We're expecting. And we're like, oh, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. That's so cool that you're going to have a baby. It was Jonathan and Michelle. Um, Jonathan was my best man. I was his best man. And so um, Michelle says, hey, Kim, wouldn't it be cool if you were expecting two? We could have babies at the same time. That would be awesome. And Kim's like, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. And um, so then, you know, a week or two passes, and Kim's, this has been circulating in Kim's mind, and she comes to me, and she's like, I think I might be pregnant. I don't know. What if I'm pregnant? And so I gave the good, godly, spiritual answer to this, right? Oh, children are a blessing from the Lord, right? We know that children are a blessing from the Lord, and God will provide for our needs, you know? So that, that was my response to her. She's not pregnant. That was what I was thinking. So then another week passes, and um, we find out that she's pregnant. And so she tells me, and now suddenly I'm eating my words like, okay, do I really believe those things I just told her? Um, we had plans. We were going to pay off some student loans and, and go on with our lives. Um, God had different plans. And um, I, am, I am really grateful that God changed our plans. Um, he knew so much better than we did. Um, our kids are a blessing from the Lord. That's true. Um, yep, that's right. They're, they're right here. Um, <clears throat> lie number one is that children are nothing. Um, our culture often devalues children. They are unwanted. Um, I, I just want to, for the record, say that I was working on this passage of scripture. Greg or Jacob can tell you I was planning on preaching on this passage of scripture and these points um, probably two months ago. And so it was really interesting, the timing this week, um, when the news leaked that the Supreme Court is probably going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Praise the Lord. Amen? Um, yes. That is so appropriate. Um, this would end the legal precedent for abortion at, at the national level. Um, we don't spend a ton of time here at Reliance speaking on political issues, um, but this one goes way beyond um, a political matter. This is a matter that, that touches to the reality of, of um, morality and our faith in the Lord. Um, I, I want to read for you um, one small part of our statement of faith from Reliance Fellowship. 
This is Article 2.14. The sanctity of human life. Uh, We believe that all human life is sacred and created by God in His image. Human life is of inestimable, inestimable value and worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We are therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. Um, if you want to study more, Psalm 139 points to this truth, Jeremiah 1.5 points to this truth, and there are many other passages. Um, this is so important to us that we put it in our doctrinal statement, in our statement of faith. So we don't put everything in there, um, but this one, this is very important to us. And Hannah is an amazing example because she so deeply longs to have children. She reminds us of the incredible value of having children and, and of being a mother. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the, of the womb is a reward. In Hannah's story, we can see how deeply she felt the truth of those words. Um, She would have been just appalled at this cultural idea that many have that children are nothing. There's a second lie. The second lie is that children are everything. Um, And Hannah doesn't go to that extreme either, and that's the amazing thing. So not only does she value children, but she is willing to give her son to the Lord. So she doesn't go to that second extreme. Um, most of us in the room have seen Lord of the Rings. Remember the character Go- Gollum? You remember his famous line? My own, my precious, right? Like some people do that, maybe not so creepy, but some people do that with their kids. <laughs> my precious, you know, like everything is about their child. And um, in, in unhealthy ways. Um, it becomes unhealthy when your identity is wrapped up in your child's success or what happens with them in, the, in life. Um, I, I think deep down, some parents are thinking something like this. I need my child to gain the skills and get the job and make the money so that I have value. I need them to get the education and marry well so that I have value. And so if you're, if you're looking to your child to validate your reason for existence, this is not a good idea. Um, your children are wonderful, and they bear the image of God, and they're beautiful and smart and fun. They have amazing potential, but they should never become an idol in your life. Is that fair? Um, now, now, here's the thing about this. Uh, none of us is ever going to admit that our child is our, an idol in our life, right? Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's totally me. Yep. Um, so, so how do we arrive at finding out if that is a, a distortion in our in our own perspective. Um, I think there's, there's two questions that you might ask. <clears throat> the first one is, what would I do if the Lord took my child? Um, if something happened to your child, would you shake your fist at heaven and say, how dare you, God? Um, or, w- or would you actually trust the Lord in the midst of it? Um, another question to consider is what if God has different plans for your child than you do, right? And that one's hard um, because I think it often happens. 
And so what if you've, you've always dreamed of financial security for your kids, but the Lord wants your daughter to serve as a missionary to a city in India living on financial support? Okay, that's, that's weird and awkward. Or what if you've always dreamed of your son becoming a scientist to work on cancer research, but the Lord wants him to be a pastor? Or the other side of that, what if, you know, you've always dreamed of your kids going into ministry, but the Lord wants them to serve the world in other ways, right? What do you do if the Lord has different plans for your kids than what you did? Can you hold your children with open hands before the Lord? trusting the Lord to do what's best in their life. Um, Ultimately, can you let God be God in the lives of your kids? And so I think that's, that's, you know, we've got these two, two different extremes that our culture goes to that we at times in our heart can go to. One is to devalue children, and the other is to exalt them to a much higher level than they ought to have, right? So let's see what um, Hannah does here. So 1 Samuel 1, verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she, she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him, only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although, although the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord... As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I've also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Just as the Lord had closed her womb, we have this beautiful verse where it says the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her and answered her prayer. A couple things about Hannah's response. She gives credit to the Lord for Samuel's birth. She remembers, she she acknowledges that this is a a direct answer to her prayer and directly from the hand of God. She's grateful for what the Lord has done for her. Um, The second thing is she gives Samuel to the Lord permanently. So verse 22, she says, I give him forever. Verse 28, as long as he lives. Can you imagine this? Um, I I think if we were to follow this example, uh, maybe you could bring your children to the church, just drop them off and leave them here. Jacob can take care of them. (laughs) He'll be all right. (laughs) Uh, I just can't imagine what it would have been like to actually do this. Um, 
Here you have a woman who deeply longed to have children. I, you know, it's just occurring to me, I wonder how Panina re- responded to this. You finally got a son and you gave him away? What does that even mean? Um, the Lord gives her a son and she dedicates this young man to, to serving the Lord. It's, it's really remarkable. Um, if the story ended there, it would be a remarkable picture of her faith. But it's not the end of the story. And so we get some insight into Hannah's life, into what, what it, she is thinking in her heart in the midst of this. We also get insight into what comes next. And so I want to look at that briefly here. First Samuel 2. Um, we're going to look at this song, um, what, what was read earlier. And, and notice the themes as we go through. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he sets the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail." Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah's dependence on the Lord that we've seen throughout this is justified because God is sovereign. God is able to direct the outcomes. And often the Lord reverses human fortunes to accomplish what he intends. And so, to put this in simple terms, God cares about Hannah. He actually cares about her, her situation, her struggle to have children. Um, there are some in our church who have struggled with infertility. And the message here is clear, that God cares about you. God cares about And if you go through this passage, you see that God cares about the feeble, the hungry, the barren, the poor, and the needy. And so often, those whom our society looks to and values, the pretty, the wealthy, the strong, all those things, those are the people that get the attention. Everybody else, all all the folks in a needy situation get ignored. But the Lord's not ignoring them. God cares about those in situations like that. 1 Samuel 16, 7, later in this book, says, God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so God sees past all those outward circumstances, and he sees Hannah's faithfulness. 
He sees her heart and he responds. Why did God care for Hannah? Well, among other reasons, she had a genuine faith in him. So he sees her heart. Um, It's interesting, as the story goes on, Hannah is actually really vindicated in this. So um, jump down to verse 18, 1 Samuel 2, 18. Now, Samuel was, (coughs) excuse me, Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod, which was the priestly garment. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice, probably because they didn't have linen ephods that size. So she would each year make one for him and bring it. And then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. What a cool story. God not only answers her prayer and gives her Samuel, he answers her prayer and gives her a bunch more kids. And so... It's just a beautiful example of God caring for her. Um, She experiences the joy of raising children of her own. And so um, she makes this simple promise to the Lord. If you will give me a son, I will give him to you. She keeps that promise, and God just richly blesses her. And it's just such an amazing example. So what does this mean for us? Um, What are some of the things that this might mean for us? Um, the first thing is just for us to recognize that simple truth that children are a gift from the Lord, right? Um, moms do hard work, and um, yeah, we all know this. I don't need to wax eloquent about that. You all know that moms do hard work, and so much of it is, is aimed at children, and if we devalue children, as our culture often does, we're de- devaluing motherhood, Moms, what you do is important. Children are incredibly precious, um, should not be viewed as unwanted or inconvenient, um, but they're also not a replacement for God himself. And so I think that's the other side of that, is that we need to make sure that we keep children in their proper place. They're kids. They're, they're wonderful. They're precious. They're, we love them. But let's not exalt them and make them everything. So... <coughs> Remember, it's a gift from the Lord's hand. And so there's so many ways that we, you know, we can fall off a horse in in multiple different directions. Um, And often we take a gift from the Lord and we're either not grateful for it or we make it our idol. It's everything. And what we ought to do is recognize this is a good thing that God gave us. Let's be grateful for it and let's praise God for it, right? And so that's really what this is such a great example of, is that we need to be grateful to the Lord for the good gifts that he gives. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that we should really take away from this. Um, another thing that we really ought to take away from this is just this amazing picture of who God is, right? Throughout the Bible, we, we see God as powerful, mighty, he's sovereign over all things, he is the one directing the fates of men. And you could get this image that God is distant, right? Because he's so powerful, he's so great, he's so mighty. Why would he care about 
you know, what I get on a test in this class, right? Or why would he care about some little issue in my life? Or even why would he care about somebody as lowly as me? And, and what we see in this story is that God cares for us, for, for people messed up as us, right? God, God cares for us in the midst of that. And so whether it's the feeble, the hungry, the barren, the poor, the needy, the good news is that he cares for you and me. And I think the reality is we are the feeble, the hungry, the barren, the poor, the needy. Um, we just don't always recognize it. Um, it's, it's easy in Western culture to think, you know, we got a little bit of money, so we've got our lives figured out. We are deeply, deeply dependent on the Lord. Um, we rely on Him. <clears throat> the last thing is that um, what Hannah does here is just an, an amazing example for us. So we're going to repeat it. So we're going um, to follow Hannah's example here, and this is something we um, haven't done for a while. Uh, Emma was pointing out to, to me this morning, I think it's been like three years since we did our last baby dedication. It's, it's time. So um, somehow we got out of the rhythm uh, through COVID. Um, so baby dedication is um, it's a commitment that parents make to recognize God's authority in the life of their child and to raise their child in the ways of the Lord. I see a couple dads stepping out, so um, we'll give them just a minute. Go grab those babies. Um, so uh, this is something that we, we um, do generally on a regular basis. And so I'm going to call up here um, several families. We have a lot. This is like half the church. So um, <laughs> we have a lot of babies around here. Um, so... I'm going to invite up Josh and Lindsay Alvarez, uh, Dylan and Sarah Beard, Jim and Felicia Fallum. Come on up here, you guys. Uh, Justin and Emma Jarrett, Andy and Alicia McGilliard, Tyler and Kayla Stark, and Jake and Faith Ulbricht. You guys can come on up here. (coughs) Yeah, you can line up on both sides here. That'd be great. Everybody ooh and all over the little babies. They're really cute. Was that dad's better? Is that what that was? Okay. Um, so. So this is the point where I lose everyone's attention. So um, down here at the end, we have Tyler and Kayla. And then Dylan and Sarah, Josh and Lindsay, Justin and Emma, Jake and Faith, Felicia and Jim, and Andy and Alicia down at the very end there. And so um, we have the, the deep privilege of each of them um, that are going to be dedicating um, their children to the Lord here. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a series of five questions. Um, and what I'd like you guys to do is to say, we do. Um, it'll be awkward if you don't. So... Um, Okay, so um, these questions are also in the bulletin that you received this morning, so if you want to look over those as we're going through them, or if you want to take that home and and think about that later, you can as well. Um, So each of these questions. First, do you today recognize these children as gifts from the Lord 
and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing. <clears throat> Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you all, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they will belong wholly to God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's fatherly help, you will bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love to build the Word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives? Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, and intellectual and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own Heavenly Father for the wisdom love, and strength to serve them and not use them? And do you promise, God helping you, to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace your children will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all His promises to them, even eternal life, and in this faith follow Jesus as Lord and obey His teachings? So on the basis of these affirmations, let's pray for these families, okay? So our great Heavenly Father, um, we recognize that you are the giver of life, that these children are a gift from your hand. And so this morning, as we gather to worship you, these parents seek to recognize your sovereign authority in the lives of their children. And so on behalf of these parents today, And together with everybody in the church, um, we now dedicate these children to you, our God. We pray that you would bring each of them to faith in Jesus Christ, that each of them would build their lives on the truth of your word. We pray that you would accomplish your good purposes in their lives. Lord, we pray that their lives would be lived for your glory. God, may these children belong to you wholly forever. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's give them a hand. And before you head back to your seats, we have have flowers and cards here for you. Um, One last really neat thing about the story with Hannah is um, we see this amazing thing that, that Samuel gets brought to the temple and left with Eli. And Eli was not a great dad. Eli did not do an amazing job. And yet the Lord is sovereign in Samuel's life and brings Samuel up to know him. And that's our hope. That's our hope. God knows that we're not perfect parents. Um, We're doing our best. But man, parenting is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. And so we're doing our best. um, But we also trust that the Lord is sovereign in the midst of these things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.